Morning, church. Attitude check. All right. that song that they sang just now, right? You're the God who fights for me. Yes, sir. I apologize to the kids. I'll be more prepared for the kids the next time I get a chance to do this. But I'm not prepared this time. I was only prepared for this part of it now. Uh, before we get started, if you would have your a Bible or, or devices, would you please turn to Luke, Luke chapter 18, the gospel according to Luke, chapter 18, uh, we'll be looking at verses 1 through 8 for the text, and the background scripture in this particular message is very, very important. So I'm going to give you that also. It'll be Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 37. So keep the back. We're going to be looking in the background also. The background is vital to this, this particular message. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, and the background scripture uh, Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 17. If you might pray with me now. Uh, our Father God, this is your house. This is, these are your people. These are the people who you sent. I am yours, heart, soul, body, and mind. Use us as you see fit. Use this message as you see fit. We surrender to your will today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The point of this message this morning is at all times, we ought to pray and not lose heart. Luke chapter 18, verses one through eight. During the recent waves of horrific, horrific violence that we have been experiencing here in America and reading about throughout the world, we grieve with the families of the victims and give our support in any way that we can. We communicate words of comfort and encouragement telling them that our thoughts and prayers are with them. However, as time goes on, these horrific events increase in frequency and intensity. Everyday pressures, economic, financial, and relationship issues are associated with these events. Now can be heard the cry, no more thoughts and prayers. No more thoughts and prayers. We want action to stop the violence, to relieve the pressures of this life. 
The question comes, is this also the cry of the church? God is telling us, never stop praying if we are the ones who want action. We should follow what Jesus told his disciples to do and what he's telling us to do today. Jesus said that at all times, we ought to pray and not lose heart. We ought to pray and not faint. We ought to pray and not give up. We ought to pray and not quit. Our prayers should, be, should have these four characteristics as he illustrated in his parable. Number one, our prayers should be to God with a purpose. Number two, our prayers should be to God with a persistence. Number three, our prayers should be to our God who is all-powerful. And number four, our prayers should be for God's plan to be done. Now this parable that we're going to be looking at completes Jesus' previous teachings about the future, addressed to his disciples and to the church. And it focuses on the time before the return of our Lord Jesus Christ and the problems believers have while living in a violent, hostile environment. When the coming kingdom of God does not meet our expectations, there is always the danger of falling into despair, and we must be careful not to lose heart. So this scripture is telling us that Jesus wants us to have a committed lifestyle of prayer when he says, ought to always pray. God our Father loves and is always waiting to hear and respond to our prayers, and he illustrates this in, this parable, in his parable. Before we get into this parable, though, I want you to direct your attention back to Luke chapter 17, because we must cross the bridge of time and go back into the time that this parable was given and understand. It's very important that we do that. We find Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He was passing between Samaria and Galilee. Jerusalem is a beautiful historic city whose rule has changed numerous times and is currently under Roman rule. The Jews were a part of the Jerusalem community and were allowed to practice their laws as long as they did not interfere with the Roman rule or cause disturbances. There were many diseases back in that time, uh, leprosy being one of them. Leprosy forced people to live in exile. Now, while en route to Jerusalem, Jesus healed 10 people infected with leprosy. Only one said thanks. Then Jesus met a member, members of a religious group known as the Pharisees. Well, they questioned Jesus as to when the kingdom of God was coming. Now, information tells us that discussions about signs pointing to the dawning messianic kingdom, that it agitated the Pharisees' circle considerably. Now, the messianic kingdom was an important issue, though, to the Pharisees, and they were serious about the, an answer. 
Their question had no ill intent like normally they, 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 they try to put, trip Jesus up. This wasn't the case. It had no ill intent other than that Jesus, the great teacher, would be, would, was able to give them an answer. However, his answer was one they did not expect. He told them that the kingdom of God was not in the future. The kingdom of God was not a specific time in the past either. Jesus told the Pharisees that the kingdom of God was in their midst. Jesus' answer was in direct opposition to the Jewish and New Testament thought of his day. Jesus then turned to the disciples without even giving the Pharisees further explanation. The disciples were looking for the, the coming Messiah also. Jesus had the same answer for them. There are no set times and or dates when Christ will come a second time. Jesus did say that when the Son of Man comes back, it will be quick as lightning. But he will have to suffer first. Then Jesus describes what life will be like at the time of his arrival. He said, people will be marrying and eating and drinking, just like in the days of Noah. People will be buying and selling, planning and building, just like in the days of Lot. And then God's judgment would come in both cases, and it will be swift. He destroyed them all. Jesus said, it will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. Scripture then tells us in verses 31 through 36, on that day, the one who is on the housetops and whose goods are in the house must not go down to take them out. And likewise, the one who is in the field must not turn back. He says, remember Lot's wife? Whoever seeks to keep his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. I tell you, on that night, there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and one, then the other will be left. There will be two women grinding in the same place. One will be taken and the other will, let, will be left. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Conditions during Jesus' times were the same as they are today. Lawlessness, godlessness, and immorality dominated society. The Pharisees were crying out, when is the kingdom of God coming? Because of the Roman rule. The disciples were crying out, when is Messiah coming? because of persecution. People are today crying out, where is God? Why is God allowing these things to happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, Jesus illustrates his parable from that particular setting as we come back over the bridge of time and we get into his parable. Luke chapter 18, when Jesus said, verse 1, 
Now he was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart. This is why our prayers should be to God with a purpose. Note what it says in Luke chapter 18, verses 2. In a certain city, there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. Now, this judge was a leader in his society, qualified to provide help and support. The position he held was of the utmost importance in balancing the scales of justice and equality for his people. Information tells us that in the Old Testament, the basis for the conscientious discharge of judicial responsibilities was the fear of God. We find this in Exodus 23, 6 and 7. Now, even with the law of God in place, God, who is a higher judge than all, which all humans have to answer, this man, this judge, whose character did not fear God or have respect for other human beings, was the judge in this case. His interest was only in himself. This judge was only interested in the number of bribes he would get. And he knew this woman would not be able to give him anything. In verse 3 of chapter 18, book of Luke, it says this. There was a widow in that city, and she kept coming to him saying, Give me my legal protection from my opponent. Now Jesus used the widow in his parable because she is the ultimate, especially in that culture, she is the ultimate in helplessness and defenselessness, having no male support at all in her community. We find evidence of this in Luke chapter 7, verse 12, and 2 Samuel chapter 14, verse 5. Also, in Exodus chapter 22, verses 21 through 24, God had admonished Israel to treat widows and other socially disadvantaged people with justice. So the foundation was laid for this judge to do what was right. I often wondered as I read this, did this woman know this law? Did she have a lifestyle of prayer to God she knew would hear and respond? She sure did act as she did. She acted like she did. But she had neither the money to bribe nor the power to influence a selfish, greedy judge. Her only recourse was to keep bothering him, hoping the judge would give her relief from her adversary. But this woman had a purpose and a plan. This woman had a serious problem no doubt. But she planned to be able to communicate with the judge. The main point of all of this is prayer. Prayer. No matter what the situation is going on around us. Prayer. Well, you say, isn't it about the widow's problem? Or, in our case, 
Isn't it about the violence and the corruption and the, and the choices we make and economic and financial issues? It's all about able, being able to communicate with God. Can we do that? Do we know how to do that? Which is through prayer. It is about how we relate to God. Now, I'm not from the technological age. I do have a cell phone, iPhone 12. I try to keep up with all of the gadgets. I'll go and buy a, an updated gadget, and I don't have a clue how to work it. Uh, but I got one. I could say I got one. And so, as I was preparing this, I heard about, uh, the, the, a term came to mind that I heard a lot. How many of you know what OMG means? Oh, y'all heard about that. All right. Okay, OMG. Oh my God. And that, that's the way they say it, too. Oh my God. Well, that's the way some of us communicate with God. When something happens, oh my God. Well, it's been happening. This, this term is used so much that it's used in jokes. It's used when, when people want to make a point. It's used to get a laugh. It's used a lot. OMG. Some of us wait till there's a crisis to communicate with God. So why should we want to communicate with God with all of this stuff going on around us? Why? Shouldn't we be dealing with the stuff? Shouldn't we be going out there? Shouldn't we go buying AR-15s and, and stocking up our houses? Shouldn't we, have, shouldn't we do this stuff? It's going on. It's enclosing us. Why should we go to God? Notice what the Apostle Paul wrote in Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2 verses 9 and 10. He says, For in him all the fullness of the deity dwells in bodily form, and in him you have been made complete, and he is the head over all rule and authority. All rule and authority. Since that's the case, I'm in the right place, going to him. All rule in authority. Point number two, our prayers should be to God with persistence. Let's look now at verse four and five of chapter 18 of the book of Luke. It says, for a while he was unwilling, but afterward, he said to himself, even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Now, do you think this man, who is unregenerate in heart and mind, made this decision on his own? The prophet Jeremiah said this, that the, heart, that the human heart is deceitful. In Jeremiah chapter 17, 
verses 7 through 10. Jeremiah writes this through the inspiration of the Lord. He says, blessed is the man whose trust it, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose trust is in the, whose trust is the Lord. For he will be like a tree planted by the water that extends its roots by a stream and will not fear when the heat comes, but its leaves will be green and it will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor cease to yield fruit. The heart is more deceitful than all else and desperately and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give to each man according to his ways, according to the results of his deeds. Now, for the believer in Christ, he goes to the apostle John, who writes in 1 John chapter 5, starting with verse number 1. 1 John chapter 5, he says this, Whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. And then he quotes from verses 4 and 5 of the same chapter. He says, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. And then he goes over to verse 13 of the same chapter. He says, these things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence which we have before him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we have asked from him. Persistent prayers are not uncommon in God's kingdom either. You remember when Abraham prayed to God persistently for him not to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah? Genesis 18. You remember Jesus prayed persistently in the garden before his crucifixion? Luke chapter 22. Do, do, do you have any unsaved people or something that you've been praying for for a long time, for years? That's called persistent prayers. Are the prayers mixed with faith? Or are they, or we, do we try to help God out? Now the Thessalonians Christians were worried about those who died before Jesus Christ returned. However, the apostle Paul, he came along, alleviated their fears in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Starting in verse 13, he said this, but we do not want you to be uninformed brethren about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest of who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you 
by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. And then point number three, our prayers should be to our God, who is all-powerful. So in our parable in verses six and seven, and the Lord said, he says, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night, and will he delay long over, over them? So, if an unrighteous judge, a corrupt judge, will attend to the pleas of a poor widow for whom he has no concern, how much more will the cries of God's people move him? You know, there was a similar cry in Revelation chapter 6, verse 10 also. It says, and they cried out with a loud voice, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging the, and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? So we find that since no one knows when Jesus will return, we do not know when God will answer our requests, but we know that he will answer all of the injustices that we experience in the judgment. And we do not know when God's judgment is because it ties in with Jesus' second coming. But we know this, we know God can answer our prayers anytime. Has God answered any prayers in here today? We know it. God has answered prayers. I'm a witness, we have other witnesses. God has answered your prayers on many occasions. These situations which deal with all of the injustices before Jesus returns because God is faithful, according to 1 Corinthians 1.9. Now the kingdom of God is at hand, as we hear. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. The 12 disciples preached this theme in Matthew chapter 10 and then Mark chapter one. Our prayer should be that God will complete his plan. That's point number four. Our prayer should be that God will complete his, his plan. Jesus gave his disciples the model prayer in Matthew chapter, chapter six, verses nine and 10. He says, he says this in Matthew 6, 9 and 10. He says, pray then this way. 
Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Bible has a lot to say about the kingdom of God. Some of us are reluctant to talk about the kingdom of God because we lack the knowledge about it. The Illustrated Bible Dictionary tells us that, as a definition, that the kingdom of God is a decisive intervention by God. The Messiah paved the way for the future of the kingdom of God. Now here at Fifth Street Baptist Church, we have what is going on now, Fifth Street University. How many of y'all heard of that? Fifth Street University. Is that all? Fifth Street University. And if we get involved in that, you're going to find uh, one, of the, one of the teachers in that, this under the direction of our pastor, Pastor Joshua Dreyer, but one of the teachers in that section got involved in it, and he was talking about the kingdom view. His name was Pastor Matt Chandler. He gives a definition of the kingdom of God. I like this. He gives three Ds, three Ds. He says, the first D is dwelling. He says this, he says, the entirety of the scripture is God with us, God with us. In the garden, he says, God with us. He says, in the tabernacle, and we read about all of these things, the tabernacle, God with us. He says, Jesus is putting on human flesh, God with us. However, sin came in. Sin prevented us from being with God. But salvation brought us back into, and then he goes into the second D, which is dominion. Salvation brought us back into dominion, allowing us to exercise the dominion of God, which allows God to use us to bring order back from chaos. Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit empower us to obey Christ's command and make disciples. Still under the dominion, allows us to bring the kingdom of God to earth. We are part of God's kingdom, co-heirs with Jesus Christ. Our future is a contrast between what is here on earth and being in the future. Then his last D, which is dynasty, he says this, we are invited and grafted into eternal dynasty. He asked the question, what does the world have to offer me in comparison to being in his eternal dynasty? What should help us now is to look at all that is here now, all of the materialistic toys that we see around us. Very fascinating, but they can break. He says, will we trade these toys for what we have in God's dynasty? We have been called to reign with the Lord Jesus Christ as sons and daughters. We should have a temporary armor against the world and a resolve to live by faith to bring light into chaos around us." End quote. So Jesus continues in Matthew 6, 31 through 34, for what we should be doing. In Matthew 6, 31 through 34, it tells us this. He says, do not worry then 
saying, what will we eat or what, we, what will we drink or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. Here's the clincher, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take care of itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. And in Jesus' last verse of his parable, verse number eight, he says this, I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? If Jesus were to come today, will he find faith here? the kind of faith that he knows about, that he can recognize. Will he find faith? Here are some practical suggestions that I've come up with from this whole thing. Number one, all our actions should point to our inner hope of the kingdom of God during our time here on earth. What I'm saying here is this. If I think about something to do and I wound up doing that would have thought about, that would be my action. No matter what that action is, no matter what that action is, it should point to the inner hope of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? Also, developing a lifestyle of prayer, we can prevent the spiritual casualties by developing a practical prayer life with these four characteristics characteristics of purpose, persistence, power, and God's plan. Now, God called the church into action to respond to this crisis. Believe it or not, all this stuff that's going on around us, God called us into action to deal with it. But not like you would think. It's through prayer. Letting God be a part of every, our everyday life. I go back in time, how many of you knew Charlie Carter? One, two, three. Charlie Carter. Charlie Carter was in, he used to go back there in, in our senior Sunday school class. And if you knew Charlie Carter, he was, uh, he was a man of the waters. He had boats out on Stock Island, uh, and he was good at it too. And he'd come in and we'd have a discussion back there, and immature as I was back then, what he was talking about, I didn't see it. I wanted to see, hear something bigger. But he would come in and he'd say, you know, Brother Vaughn, that's the way he said it, you know, Brother Vaughn, I was trying to work on my boat engine. And I come across this, I, I had a bolt, and he gave the dimension to the bolt, and I was trying to get this bolt in that hole so that the threads would line up. Y'all know what I'm talking about here? So that the threads would line up, but you know them threads, would, that bolt just would not go in. And I'm saying to myself, what's that got to do with it? But he knew what he was talking about. 
He said, but you know something? I just turned to the Lord and I said, Lord, help me get this boat in. And you know the next moment, I did this and the boat just went right into that hole and the threads lined up and I was able to screw that boat in. Now, how important does that sound to you? Not very, not very much, is it? But that's how he had the Lord in his life in everyday situations. No matter how simple it was, that's the way we should have the Lord in our lives. So when these crises come up, they won't hit us with nothing. We won't be shocked by anything. Why? Because we can go straight to where the source is, straight to the authority, which is God through prayer. Well, the other people can't do that. They may, they may shout, oh, my, OMG, oh my God, what do I do? What do I do? So having the hope of the coming Christ in our life makes a big difference. And now we come to our invitation time. The fourth point of this message was pray that God would complete his plan. What is God's plan? What is his plan? What is, what is his down-to-earth plan? In so many brief words, his plan is to get us back. He want us back. Well, you say, well, what, what, what are you talking about? He want us back. Why? Because all have sinned against him. And the Bible says we've come short of his glory. All this stuff that's going on around us now that we're involved in is the result of sin. Every last part of it is the result of sin. It's the result of sin. And we can't do nothing about it. We can put some temporary fixes on it, but they will be just that, temporary and it'll go back bad again. And every time we, we try to fix something, it breaks again and breaks and breaks and breaks. But God is trying to get us back to him. And he's doing a good job because everything we do is not gonna work until we come back in full circle. And when we get tired of it, <clears throat> And the last part, we'll find him standing right in front of us. You know, Bible says God loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And you know, even while we were sinners, even though all of these folks in there who want their own way and continue to want their own way, who want to be fixed to get right back into doing their own thing, Christ died for us, as Romans 5 and 8 tells us. So God loving us, Christ dying for us, is good news, isn't it not? It's good news. So church, believers, we are called to tell this good news, which is called the gospel.
in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. Turn to it right quick. This is the gospel. Paul writes to the Corinthian church. He says, Now I, I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preach to you, which also you receive, and which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, unless you believed in vain. Now he gets into it. For I delivered to you for, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. That is the gospel. Simple message, but that is the gospel. Well, a person might say, now that I've heard the gospel, what should I do? What should I do? Praise God. All right, praise God. Praise God, I've heard that gospel, but my life is broken. It's broke. I recognize it's because of my sin. I need Jesus. I believe Christ came to live, to die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. I need Jesus. That's what I need. Show me him. How do I have Jesus? Well, the Bible says this. In Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He says, for with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Have you done that today? Everybody in here? Have you done that today? This is a time to do it. No better time than now to receive Jesus. This is what the Word says. This is what the Word says. You have an opportunity today to do that as we give an invitation. But it also says this, for whoever, as anybody, whoever will call on the name of the Lord, will be what? They'll be saved. That's what it takes. You can do that in faith. It can happen. If you don't know him. Now as we, give, as we close, I want you to come. If to get saved, if you need to get saved, of you a believer to step up your prayer life in light of all that's going on around us. We go to the source. He can do something about that. Do I need to go to Winn-Dixie and stock up my house, my, my, get more groceries for the upcoming? Do I need to buy gold? I'm not going to mention guns or nothing like that. No, we're not going to do that. No. I need to get on my knees and get into a better relationship with the Lord. And that's through prayer. Amen?
All right. As we close, you come according to your need. God bless you.